0: Hey, everybody. It's Drags. It's Wednesday, February 26th. Time for episode 339 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com. And as always, you should know this by now, follow us on Twitter at Patriots CLNS. Welcoming back this week Evan Lazar, my talented colleague at CLNS Media covering the NFL and, of course, your New England Patriots. For CLNS. Evan is in Indy this week and will be crushing our coverage of the NFL Combine with the wall-to-wall coverage on CLNS Media and on his Twitter page at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. Are you ready for the Underwear Olympics?
1: I am <laughs> nice terminology there. I uh, I told you
0: I would work that in.
1: This is probably my favorite week of the off season. Just you got the whole NFL world in one place. You got the draft prospects, but you also got a lot of rumors uh, with the actual, you know, veteran players like Tom Brady and Stefan Diggs making headlines today. So it's it's the best week of the year in my opinion. It's spring break NFL style.
0: Yeah, I like that. You're on your game already, Evan. Spring break, Mm -hmm. NFL style. Okay, let's get to the news, first of all, on Tuesday. Um, The uh, Patriots and uh, Don Yee, Tom Brady's attorney, will be getting together uh, shortly. Um, How does that impact uh, negotiations uh, before um, the actual illegal tampering period? Break that down for us.
1: Well, I mean, this is the first contact between Tom Brady and the Patriots or Tom Brady's representatives and the Patriots since the end of the season. And the Patriots and Brady have not had any sort of contract negotiations or contract talks or even discussed figures in a new deal for Brady. So this is truly the first contact for both sides. And obviously there's a lot riding on, not just from a big picture perspective of Brady's career in New England and the 20-year dynasty coming to an end and all that kind of stuff, but also just on the time crunch of getting this deal done before the March 18th deadline so that Brady doesn't hit the open market, so that $13.5 million salary proration does not hit the Patriots cap all in 2020. There's so many reasons for the Patriots to want to get this done early, but obviously we keep on hearing time and time again that Brady would like to hit the open market and see what's out there.
0: See, and I I keep believing this, and I could be totally wrong, uh, and you may think I'm off my rocker. I don't think it's about money to Tom Brady. I think it's whether or not he believes the Patriots are going to give him a chance to compete on his terms.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that he wants to be in an offense that features the passing game and features the quarterback like it used to, like it did with Rob Gronkowski and Julian Edelman in that tandem, or Gronk and Welker or Moss and Welker, whatever iteration you want to look at from the Patriots' perspective, from Brady's perspective, really, since that 2007 season, he has been a perennial MVP candidate every single year up into the last two seasons, and he certainly would like to return to that form. And the only way he's going to return to that form is if the people around him elevate their game and they're able to elevate the supporting cast. So a lot going on this week with that. Obviously, we spoke to the draftees of the wide receivers in the tight ends today at the Combine this morning, but also some news about Stephon Diggs, Hayden Hurst, the tight end from Baltimore, might be on the trading block. So there's a lot going on in patriot world trying to get tom brady some help because that will go a long way if they can get him some help earlier sooner rather than later i should say then that will really kind of push the envelope a little bit to let him come back sooner
0: um, so you spoke about Stefan Diggs uh GM Rick Spielman uh spoke uh on uh Tuesday and we should also note the Patriots hard ne- they never talk at these things they if they don't have to talk they're not going to talk they're not going to spill um, you know company secrets but uh, the Vikings general manager Rick Spielman did talk and he uh, may have burst the bubble for Patriot fans expecting Diggs in New England
1: Yeah, you know, we actually talked to a unnamed Patriots PR person today, and he laughed when we mentioned if Belichick or Nick Casario was going to take the podium at any point. So we knew for a fact that they're not going to talk already going into the They never do. But it's pretty funny just to, you know, it's kind of a running joke at this point of, oh, you think we'll hear from Belichick this week? Probably not. But with Rick Spielman and the Vikings GM, it reminds me so much, the moment reminded me so much of Dave Gettleman a year ago with Odell Beckham, where Gettleman stood up there looked everybody in the eye in that press room and said... We didn't
0: sign him to trade him.
1: Right, we didn't sign him to trade him. And then three weeks later, he trades Odell Beckham to the Cleveland Browns. So on the one hand, you'd like to take Rick Spielman at his word and say, okay, Diggs is not going anywhere. But on the other hand, we've seen this movie before. We've seen GMs lie before or situations change or whatever kind of angle you want to take at it. I don't think Diggs is on the block right now. I do think if the Vikings were blown away by an offer, they might move him. The Patriots were interested in him at the trade deadline a year ago because the Vikings were kind of teetering at that point and he was unhappy with his role in the offense and playing second fiddle to Adam Thielen in that offense as well. And it was rumored that maybe he was going to be on the block and the Patriots were interested in trading for Diggs at that point in time, that obviously that market went cold when the Vikings took him off the block or he was never put on the block by Minnesota. And it seems like we're still in that spot now where the Patriots would give up a pretty hefty investment to get the return in Diggs, but the Vikings need to be willing to trade him.
0: Well, I would ask you, when was the last time the Patriots ever blew away a uh, trading partner? It never happens. They don't, that's not their M.O.,
1: It's not. I think the only precedent that you can really set for the Diggs trade is the Brandon Cooks trade. Now, obviously, the contract is very different for the two players. Diggs is making – real money, and he's also due money over the next four seasons, whereas Cooks was on the final year, besides the fifth year option, the final year of his rookie contract, and it was just a much different situation, but they did give up a first-round pick for Cooks, and they have been dangling that first-round pick over the last couple of off-seasons looking for a top Flight pass catcher looking for a star receiver to add to this offense they were in the mix on Antonio Brown they were in the mix on Odell Beckham they were in the mix on a number of different free agent wide receivers this time last year and I would expect the same kind of avenue to go about it this year especially after how the team saw how difficult it was to integrate Nikhil Harry into the offense I was last just gonna
0: say yeah not to interrupt no, you Evan, but but the fact that the Patriots have had difficulty integrating their first-round uh, picks uh, who happen to be wide receivers. Don't you think a lot of fans out there are going, I'd rather have uh, a proven commodity in Stephon Diggs. Give up the first round. Give up a first and second round if that's what it takes. I want Stephon Diggs. And I'm just curious if the Patriots would be tempted to think that same way.
1: That's the way I think about it as well and the way I would have think the Patriots would think about it too – the truth is is that integrating a college receiver into the pro game, a rookie into the NFL game, is difficult for every single team because the college game and the college passing game in particular is just significantly different than the pro game. You see a lot more soft zone coverage in college, not a ton of press man. You see a lot of different route combinations, a lot more spread and vertical passing attacks in the college game with college-style elements like RPOs and different options and package plays where receivers are – basically just ask to out-athlete defensive backs. Just outrun guys, run through tackles, make plays with the ball in your hands. And all the technical savviness, all the technical detail and the route running and things like that, are not necessarily asked of all these receivers in the college game. I think Nikhil is a perfect example of that, where if you turn on his Arizona State tape, so many of his big plays, so many of his highlight reel plays, come after the catch. It's screens, it's reverses, it's little dump-off passes that he breaks three tackles and heads up the sidelines. That type of play translates a little bit into the NFL game like we saw with Harry, certain ball-carrying instances where he was a really effective ball carrier, but in other instances it doesn't translate to the NFL the same way it does with college.
0: Okay, let's break down the schedule uh for those out there who are going to be tuning in starting Thursday because the actual uh, on-field performance of these athletes uh, begins on Thursday. Uh That would be Thursday, February 27th, 4 to 11 p.m. Eastern time. That would be the tight ends, quarterbacks, and wide receivers. They take the field for the first day of on-field workouts. The next day, Friday, February 28th, uh, 4 to 11 p.m. Again, it's place kickers, um, special teamers, offensive linemen, running backs. Saturday, uh, it is defensive linemen and linebackers. And then it wraps up Sunday uh, from 2 to 7 p.m. Eastern with defensive backs. Um, anybody, well, I know you've spoken to a lot of people already uh, because the first two days is for essentially for the media availability um, and teams to do some uh, talking uh, with these athletes. What stood out to you on Tuesday?
1: Well, I think the biggest things that stood out to me are three players, really. I guess we can break it down that way. The first one is Jake Fromm, the Georgia quarterback. Not the biggest arm in the draft, not the most athletic guy. This testing, the on-field athletic testing doesn't usually matter much for quarterbacks, but there is kind of like a baseline of you need to be an NFL athlete. And I know people hear that and they say, well, Tom Brady certainly wasn't an NFL athlete back in 2000 and look what happened. Well, he's an outlier. We can't just continuously use Tom Brady as an example of you can look like a, you know, a normal guy in shorts and a t-shirt at the combine and then turn into the greatest quarterback of all time. But with Fromm, we're going to have to see a little bit of athleticism out of Combine from him. He doesn't have the biggest of arms, so the pre-draft process, whether throwing here in Indy or throwing at his pro day, how the ball comes out of his hands, the zip that comes out of the ball, the tight spiral, all those things are going to play a factor. But the point is is that we knew he would do well in this portion of the combine, the media portion, the interview room with the put with the teams, get this guy on a whiteboard and he is going to blow the rest of this draft class away. I, I truly believe that. He's a guy that controlled everything at the line of scrimmage for Georgia, really a cerebral quarterback, has a nice smooth release throws a catchable ball. All those things really check a lot of Patriots' boxes. He came off as as the guy that I expected, very humble, very willing to talk, very open with the media, all the things that you kind of expect. The other name I really think is starting to drive up my board and maybe even up the Patriots board is Cole Komet, the tight end from Notre Dame, who weighed in at six foot two six foot four, excuse me, two hundred and sixty two pounds yesterday, and he's expecting to run in the four low four sevens at two sixty two, which would be blowing it away if he does that.
0: What did Gronk run? Do you remember?
1: Gronk was in around that range. He might have been a little bit faster um if i remember correctly but the point is is that he's a monster He doesn't block with the same technical savvy that you would like to see quite yet, but he does with the effort in the blocking game and the running game. And he has pancakes and big blocks on his tape where you can see the functional ability to block somebody with his hand in the ground. As a receiver, really good burst off the line of scrimmage. A play that we talked about, me and him talked about today, was a drive concept, which we've seen Rob Gronkowski run a thousand times with the Patriots. They run play action, hard play action, get those linebackers to cheat up and you have Gronk just run right behind the linebackers across the middle of the field and you hit the tight end with a nice little window or pocket of space opening up for him to potentially run after the catch. Cavet said that that was his favorite play in college. It's a staple of the Patriots' offense. He said they did variations of that play, whether it was him on the drive route or him on the seam ball. So both Patriot kind of staples. He can block. He's big. He checks all the boxes that they really look for at the tight end position. And I think the biggest question about this tight end class – Last year you had two locks in the first round and TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. This year there's not a lock for a first-round pick. So somebody's going to have to wow everybody in the athletic testing to really supplement what they did on tape to add up to a first-round pick. I think Komet probably has the best chance of the traditional Y in-line blocking tight ends that the Patriots typically go for at the top of the draft.
0: And somebody met with Troy Hill, a uh, receiver that I was a big fan of uh watching Ohio State football this year.
1: Yeah, so K.J. Hill, you, you mean not Troy Hill. Troy, that's okay. Oh, no, K. no, no Troy
0: Brown. I'm sorry, yes. Yeah. Met with Troy Brown. <laughs> yeah, go there ahead.
1: K.J. Hill met with Troy Brown. I'm not really sure if K.J. Hill should have told us that, but he did. And uh the point is, is that – K.J. Hill does a lot of things in that Ohio State offense that mimic what the Patriots do with their slot receivers in New England. A lot of option routes, a lot of timing and pacing routes that are based off of post-snap reads of the coverage, right? Leverages, zone versus man, different types of things that receivers are going to have to alter their route after the snap. K.J. Hill basically told us that at Ohio State, he was running a Julian Edelman-esque route tree. And he does have that type of movement at the top of the route, the route breaks, the quick the the ability to separate at the top of the route that would fit with the Patriots nicely. Now, he's not a burner. He's not going to take the top off the defense. He's not a vertical threat necessarily. But but he can separate. He can separate. He can get open at the top. He can separate in the red zone with his quickness as well. He's decent with the ball in his hands and he plays the game at a really nice pace. There's a good kind of momentum to what he's doing, and I, I think that that's really going to be a receiver in the middle rounds, so with a couple of others I'm sure we'll talk about here in a few minutes, that the Patriots might be targeting, and he said that Troy Brown was raving about him when they talked yesterday here at the Combine, so we'll see what comes of that. There's a lot of talk about that, you know, guys they meet with, guys that they like, you know, guys that they're gushing over, like a James Proche at the Senior Bowl, and most of the time it it comes to be a whole lot of nothing, you know. James pro
0: out of SMU, right?
1: Yes, correct. It, it turns out to be a whole lot of nothing most of the time. But at the same time, some of this stuff does come to fruition. So we'll see what happens.
0: All right. Speaking with Evan Lazar, he is our man. Boots on the ground in Indianapolis. He'll be there for uh all four days, four or five, five days. I'm here
1: for four days. Four
0: days of the, uh, NFL Combine 2020, uh, on their, uh, on the ground for CLNS Media. The Patriots in the NFL might be in off-season drafting mode, but basketball, hockey, and golf seasons are indeed in full swing. You can find all of the odds with our exclusive sportsbook partner, Bet Online. They've been in the industry for over 20 years. 20 years, Evan, providing customers with first-to-market odds and giving you the ability to bet anytime, anywhere, So head on over to betonline.ag, use our promo code CLNS50 and receive your 50% welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, the promo code CLNS50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and have a little fun with some betting action today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Back with Evan Lazar covering the Patriots and the NFL for CLNS Media. Who's the tight end out of Cincinnati um, that we should be keeping an eye on?
1: Josiah DeGura, really interesting player, you know, Cincinnati, not a top flight football school obviously, but he runs routes as good as any tight end in this entire draft. And you have a couple of different tight ends, him, Bryson Hopkins, Hunter Bryant, and Harrison Bryant that are this new age of NFL tight end much more in the mold of like an Evan Ingram or maybe a Travis Kelsey before Kelsey kind of really took off into the player that he is now where it's mostly detached from the formation, not in line with your hand in the ground, but you're running routes out of the slot. You're kind of a matchup weapon. Right And DeGura is a versatile do-it-all, everything from H-back and fullback and motions out of the backfield to inline tight end to out wide at receiver. The guy did it all for Cincinnati. He is a separator at the top of the route, not only using his big frame, but he runs really precise and quick routes at the top. And I really just enjoyed watching the versatility and his effort on tape. There's this one play on his tape that's one of the first ones I threw up there on Twitter, that he's on the backside blocking on a rollout, a play-action rollout play, a bootleg, and the quarterback throws an interception at the goal line and Dagura chases down the the defender running back the the interception for what was going to be a pick six and kind of had like a Ben Watson moment, and he chases him down from behind and tackles him before he gets into the end zone. Those are the types of efforts that you see all throughout his tape, and today he told me that he played four or five different positions in the Cincinnati offense, his favorite route was Y option which is a Jason Witten route actually where the tight end it's an option route for the tight end where he's just going to read out the leverage of the defensive back and decide to go left or right and he said that he just feasted on it because he was, it was just really really in sync with the quarterback but also his timing and his ability to set up his breaks and then accelerate in and out of his brakes just makes him a really difficult cover.
0: Wow. I love having you on the podcast, especially on days like this and weeks like this, especially, Evan, it's just so much fun to get your breakdown of different players and how they may or may not be a fit uh, for the Patriots. Now, uh, the uh pl- let's see. Patriots have unofficially conducted, what, 17 of 45 combine interviews with quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends, um, based on your conversations on Tuesday. Three quarterbacks, Jake Fromm, Jordan Love, who I think is a fascinating quarterback prospect with the sure. uh, Patriots. I spoke spoke with uh, Phil Perry a couple of uh Pats beats uh back about him. And Jake, how do you pronounce the last name? Luton?
1: Uh, oh, yeah, Luton.
0: Luton, Jake Luton of yeah. Oregon State. Um, the wide receivers, uh quite a group. Henry Ruggs, T. Higgins, uh Jalen Rieger of TCU, KJ Hamler of Penn State, James Prush you've already mentioned, KJ Hill you've mentioned, Michael Pittman of USC, Denzel Mims of Baylor, and Donovan Peoples Jones of Michigan, uh and then the tight ends, Adam Trotton uh Trotman of Dayton, Hunter Bryant, Washington, uh Jared uh, Pinckney of Vanderbilt, Stephen Sullivan of LSU, and Jacob Breland of Oregon. What do you make of those 17 um, potential prospects?
1: Well, it's interesting because Mark Daniels of Projo, he did a really interesting study where he looked back in the last five years of the draft, the guys that they met with at the Combine and how many of those guys they actually drafted. And he calculated that out of the 154 guys – they've met with the combine to his knowledge over the last five years, they've only drafted two of them, Sony Michelle and Trey Jackson a few years ago. So, Typically, when the Patriots meet with you at the Combine, it means they're actually not going to draft you. It's like an elimination process, maybe? Almost. I think that a lot of times with the draft, there's two things. One, I think that they really just want to do their homework on everybody, and these guys that they pick out in the draft are guys that they don't necessarily have a full picture on yet or they have some questions or concerns about certain things that scouts or coaches have told them about that they want to confront the guy with directly. I think the other thing is, is that you look at some of the names on the list. Maybe the Patriots are looking at it, thinking that I, yep. some of the rivals are going to draft those guys.
0: Correct, and they're,
1: and they're going to want to have inside information on those players and be and able to. The way to they think that, the
0: way they see the game.
1: Exactly, so you have some inside information, some inside baseball going on, go, you know, there certainly as well. But I think the biggest thing about the meetings that we did see is that these wide receivers, today we really saw it firsthand and kind of experienced the wave of talent at wide receiver. There was three or four different 30-minute media sessions with the groups of receivers today. It's just every single group. You know, the first group has Justin Jefferson, and it has Henry Ruggs, and it has CeeDee Lamb, and then the next group has Jerry Judy and LaVisca Chenault, and the next group has Brandon Ayuk and KJ Hamler. It's just like one right after the other of just – really top-end, first-round-type talents at receiver. And it really, I, I think the sky's the limit for the receiver group in this draft. If there was six or seven receivers drafted in the first 50 picks, I wouldn't be shocked at all.
0: Um I wanted to ask you, get your impression. I spoke uh, with Sierra Goodwill last week about this. Um, Nick Casario's multi-year contract extension with the Patriots two weeks ago, uh, he's coming back to New England and is one in the offing for Monty Ossenfort, the director of college scouting.
1: Yeah, so Casario is here, actually, in Indianapolis with Belichick, which – I wouldn't say is is too routine. You know, I think Casario certainly is here every single year, but the way that it was kind of presented, the report was kind of presented was that they're kind of here this year as almost a tandem, as almost a team type of thing. Whereas before, Casario has really ran the draft for the most part until the really final stages. He conducts every single combine interview, is led by Casario for the most part. That Belichick's in the room for a lot of them, but is the guy that's really leading the charge here in Indy for the Patriots. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of if that dynamic changes at all. If Casario, even last year, was made available to the media a little bit more than he has in the past two years, not during the season necessarily, but before the season. I remember he spoke randomly last year in the preseason during training camp, which everybody thought was pretty surprising. And they're certainly trying to kind of make this more of a team effort and make it clear that, yeah, Belichick is the final say on everything roster-wise, but that uh, Casario is really the – the guy pulling the strings for the most part behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, they're going to meet with Tom Brady's agent, Donnie, like we said, and uh we'll see what happens, you know, with that and with Casario. But I think it's only good news that he's back in the mix. And uh, there's a lot of people that have criticized recent drafts, the Patriots over the last couple of years, certainly at the top of the draft. But Casario, what he does is second to none in terms of really coming through all levels of football, all different avenues of player acquisition, whether it's through the draft, through free agency, through trades, through street free agents, through UDFAs, the XFL, which I know you want to talk about quickly. I do. All all these things. Casario knows all these players. He does a great job of identifying all these guys. And it's a big reason why the Patriots end up with J.C. Jackson's and Julian Edelman's and those types of players is because they have scouts and a guy like Casario that really doesn't – leaves no stone unturned and really doesn't look at it and say, okay, this player is projected to be the fifth overall player uh, prospect, according to Mel Kuiper or Daniel Jeremiah or some draft expert or whatever, and we're not even going to pay attention to this guy because he's on nobody's top 300. The Patriots don't care where you are on anybody's top 300 but their own.
0: Correct. And uh, that leads into my final point about the uh, combine this week. And that is, are you going to have your eyes on players who may not be drafted, but could be an ideal UFA for the Patriots, rookie UFA?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would certainly say that most of those players come up in the pro days more often than they do here in the draft, but there's certainly guys that are going to not wow scouts with their athleticism once they get to the on-field testing here later in the week, and those guys – you know, will fall out of the draft at times. Jacoby Myers is a perfect example of one of those guys. Last year, I had a sixth-round grade, fifth or sixth-round grade, roughly, on Jacoby Myers. Certainly thought that his tape was draftable, uh, thought he was going to get drafted on day three, and he ended up being a UDFA because of his, Athletic testing was really subpar. He ran a really slow 40. I want to say it was in the 4.7s, which for a receiver is not fast at all, of course. And that really knocked him down the board. A receiver that coming into the combine was a guy that really was a lock to be drafted, ended up going undrafted, and the Patriots are the lucky ones. that get to scoop him up.
0: All right, we are going to move on to the XFL now. Look, I think it was certainly better – than what it was in the early 2000s. How could it not be? It's not a joke. It's actual football. I was telling uh, my genie at home watching with her that um this is this is actually real football or closer to real football. Certainly may not be NFL caliber and I get that, but their innovations um are pretty fascinating. The one that I love that I think of you all the time is miking up the offensive and defensive coordinators and the head coaches actually listening to the play calls real time. You've got to find that pretty interesting, Evan, don't you?
1: It's fascinating. Now, Bill Belichick would never let that happen in an NFL game. Right. That's for sure. And I think it's really cool also how they interview the quarterbacks during the game at halftime, most of the time, I think it is, or right before the half, depending on, you know, what the score is and whatnot. But it's really cool. It's a much better kind of behind the scenes look at the game. The review process where we get to see them go through the review, the transparency there is excellent. That was something that was a holdover from the AAF, which I hope that the XFL will now kind of legitimize it even more and hopefully bring that to the NFL because that type of transparency only helps the game. It only explains the calls to people further and makes less controversy. Agree. Yep. So I, I think that that's a really big thing for the NFL. I'm not sure how many of the wacky rules, like the kickoffs or stuff See, like that. See, I
0: like the kickoff, and I'll tell you why. I actually think the kickoff idea, if you are the NFL and you really want the kickoff to stay in the game, this is one way of going about it because guys are not getting injured running, you know – 15 miles an hour full speed uh, into somebody else standing still or running 15 miles an hour at you. Um, I think there's actually more technique involved in holding your block or finding the right block on the right seam uh, and for the the returner um, to pick that right seam and, you know, make a split-second decision. To me, that's actually an interesting part of the kickoff.
1: Yeah, and there's certainly a lot of, just strategy involved in it too, because early on in the XFL season – Teams were getting zero return out of that kickoff. It was really difficult to have any sort of effective return because of the tight space that it takes up. And it was just a really quick kind of end to the play. Now we got teams running reverses and different types of. Yeah, I saw that in the St. Louis game. Yeah, it was a great like little pitch and reverse of the field. And all of a sudden you got everything coming the other direction and the kickoff coverage unit is just completely out of position. It's a great kind of middle ground. It's going to, the issue is, is that most NFL viewers are traditional and they don't like funky, right? They don't want to see this funkiness going on. They don't want to see any of this weirdness or these weird alignments or the way that it kind of stalls at the beginning and you wait for the guy to catch the ball and then everybody releases. They're not going to be too into that in the beginning. But like you said, it is a solution to not eliminate the kickoff completely.
0: I actually think Belichick would be in favor of that because it would, first of all, not expose players to unnecessary, unwarranted injury. And second of all, um, would keep the kick return element in the game, keep special teams alive and viable in the NFL game. Um, Is there one particular aspect of the XFL you think the NFL, look, They, I don't think they want to necessarily legitimize it or however you want to put it, but that they might implement?
1: I think the the reviews being as transparent as they are might not be fully there with the NFL, but I do think that there needs to be more of a peel back the curtain when it comes with that kind of stuff. And I hope that they really do go that direction because it's, it's uh, really right now. All you get is those little tweets every once in a while during really controversial calls or certain calls where they have a, in-depth explanation you get the head of officiating al Riveron. on he comes out and he says this is why we made that call but i will give you a name of a player in the xfl who i hope is an nfl player in new england if you want uh please do donald parham who plays for the dallas renegades six foot eight tight end i watched his tape at stetson during the draft season last year This guy can flat-out fly for his size. Once he gets those strides opened up, he said that he can reach up to 23 miles per hour in the open field. Oh, my God. He is an absolute gazelle. He flies. He's more of a builder of a speed, obviously, with his size than just a straight burner. But he's really, really, really athletic player. And I thought that he was going to get a chance on an NFL team. He bumped around a little bit. He's an undrafted free agent. He signed with Washington for a little while. He was with another team I can't remember off the top of my head for in the NFL for a couple of weeks. Then he got let go by both of those teams. It was Detroit, and Washington, both in the 2019 season. He got let go by those teams, opened up the door for him to go to the Dallas Renegades and the XFL, and now he's tearing it up with the XFL. Some NFL team is going to have him in their training camp this season in July. I don't know which team it will be. I hope it's the Patriots because they obviously have a need at that position. Like we were talking about with Cacero, is what made me think of it. They're not, you know, too big to go out and look at the, an XFL guy and say, this is the guy that we really want to bring in and work with. And I think that Parham is a really interesting talent and he can just flat out fly once he gets those strides going.
0: I will um, want to get your uh, opinion, I guess, do it right now real quick on um, the collective bargaining agreement, where you think it stands. And if you think that NFL owners will pull the offer off the table if the Players drag their feet past this week.
1: Yeah, the, the collective bargaining agreement thing is really testy right now. I would say between the players and the owners because this this proposal that the owners have presented to the players, quite frankly, is a horrible deal for the Agreed. players.
0: Agreed, and I I just don't see the players going along with it. And it, and the longer it goes on, I think the older players will uh, balk at it. I just don't think that they think that this is a way to, you know uh Level the playing field for the younger players. I don't think the, the older veterans are looking at it that way at all.
1: No, and I think the biggest things that you look at is that the 17th game, only making the limit, the cap limit of, 200, of $250,000, whether you're Tom Brady or you're the 53rd guy on the roster, that's your cap. Remember in the playoffs, they don't get a full game check in the playoffs either. And now they're adding another playoff team on both sides of the ball. So that's another player, both sides of the, of the conferences. So that's another playoff game as well that players are kind of getting cheaped out of a little bit on their salaries too. So there's just not enough going back to the players right now in this proposal to allow for that 17th game to happen. Now the 17 playoff format on each side is going to happen no matter what. That's something that doesn't need to be collectively bargained. But the 17-game schedule does. I know that the owners are trying to make it claim that they're adding that half a percent or 1.5% of revenue split that should be worth it for the players to make the 17-game thing happen. But that's really only going to help a select group of players that are going to make that money, right? You know, the free agents that are going to make big-time money. The other guys are not going to see a penny of that anyways. So there's a lot of things in this that are just the NFL owners trying to make it look like they're doing good things for the players and make it look like they're trying to find a middle ground. If I'm the players, listen, the the weed testing is good. The marijuana testing, they're going to – make that so that you can't have a automatic suspension if you test positive for marijuana, which I think is the right thing to do. So that way that CBD and other types of different uh, marijuana-based treatments can now be used in the NFL, which I think is the right thing to do. That's a step in the right direction. But at the same time, you want to add another game, you want to add more playoff games, and you don't want to give the players better long-term health care, post-career health care. is just That's such a oversight by the owners that just makes no sense the players are never going to win that argument you know they're never going to get it but at least meet them somewhere more in the middle ground
0: you off to St. Elmo's
1: I wish yeah maybe we'll hit up St. Elmo's at some point
0: oh, I, go to St. Elmo's and just uh, tell John oh uh, I i I got I treated myself to just one nice dinner in five or six nights here and I want it to be St. Elmo's you got to tell yeah, that- John that
1: that's a good idea. Apparently, if I go to St. Elmo's, I'll see Andy Reid. That's the big thing is that Andy Reid just loves their shrimp cocktails so much that he just sits there and eats them all day long and all night long. Now at the combine, the actual on-field portion is during prime time instead of during the day. It does add a little extra element of what's going to happen because... All the good talk in terms of rumors and and speculation and stuff, that comes at the bar after everything is over. We all see the the draft prospects. We see the on-field stuff, which is all fun and good. But the real combine is at St. Elmo's at 3 o'clock in the morning.
0: Well, there you have it. There's Evan Lazar. He's going to be on the ground, already is there, uh, in Indianapolis covering the 2020 NFL combine want to thank everybody down for downloading today's podcast thank our terrific guest evan lazar also want to thank our great sponsor betonline.ag for producer mike alangi and the founder of the network nick gelso this is mike petralia and this has been the Patriots Beat podcast powered by clns media